0: Today we're going to be in John chapter 15, starting with verse 12 to the end of the chapter. And the last, well, actually the first portion of John 15, we talked about the believer's relationship to Christ. And that, of course, has to come first. There's three other facets, which we're going to finish up uh, in this chapter. But the first one is a believer's relationship to Christ, which has to be that foundational relationship. All other relationships, really, you can gauge how other relationships are going to go based on a person's relationship to Christ. You know, you have to, when you build a house, you've got to build a foundation first. Uh, We spoke about fruit bearing, which is very important. Every Christian, by virtue of being a believer, we bear fruit. That's a sign that we're actually in Christ. Uh, Today, we're going to cover the uh, believer's relationship now to other believers. And then the believer's relationship to the world. You see, it's going out in concentric circles. And then, of course, Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about why he gives that in this chapter or after the other four things that he spoke about. So starting with verse 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So now we're at the, the second portion of the chapter, which is the believer's relationship to other believers. And We all want to love God, and I love God, and you know, sometimes loving other believers gets a little tricky. It's been said to be with saints in heaven in glory. Oh, you know What a glory that would be. But to be with saints on the earth, well, that's another story. You know? uh, it reminds me of the mother who's trying to wake up her son for church. And he says, I'm not going to church today. She goes, what do you mean you're not going to church today? He goes, I'll give you two good reasons. He goes, I don't like them and they don't like me. She goes, well, I'm going to give you two reasons why you should go. You're 59 years old and you're the pastor. (laughs) So if you've lived long enough, you know that uh, sometimes it can be challenging to deal with other believers. Now notice, Jesus doesn't say try to love them. He commands us to love each other. 1 John 4.20 says that a person who says, oh, I love God. You hear that a lot. I love God. I love God. I've got my own relationship with God, but hates people, hates your brother. God says, you know, John says through the Holy Spirit, that person is a liar. You can't say that you love God and hate other people. And in verse 12, he says, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus never asks us to do things that are easy, does he? It's never easy. This is this is quite difficult. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 5, Jesus tells the husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Boy, that's a tall order. In 1 Peter 3 7, Jesus or Peter, through the Holy Spirit, says, Dwell with your wives with understanding. Now that's not a suggestion. It's also a command. You know, so many books are written on how different. Men and women are. And God says, get married, love one another, understand each other. And and sometimes it's difficult. And I've heard men say, you know, women, they just don't think logically like we do. And then women will get together and say, you know, these guys, they just don't have common sense like we understand. And God says, come together for better or for worse. Stay together. Verse 13, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now he's talking about sacrificial love. And sometimes it takes us many years to understand or to be able to give that sacrificial love. Some professions understand it. Uh, Since the beginning of war, uh, you hear about these soldiers where a a grenade is thrown into their uh, squad, and one soldier in a split second decides to jump on that grenade. You hear this all the time. He, he jumps on it and he, he you know, puts it under his chest and it kills him. But it saves all his squad members. These are guys that he's not related to. These are guys that could have been strangers a few weeks ago. But they're his squad members. So they understand that, that greater love. You, know, you don't leave your brother on a battlefield. And this is something that Christians should try to understand too, because a lot of Christians lack this. Sometimes the attitude is, well, it doesn't affect me. Well, I'm not getting involved. You know, I'm unconcerned. When it affects me, I'll do something about it. And that's not what Jesus wants from us. Okay. So the believer actually should be doing a better job than the world because the Lord commands it. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now remember, this is God speaking to people. So don't try this at home. (laughs) You know, I love you, or you'll love me if you do whatever I tell you. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus called his disciples friends. Now, in the Old Testament, we know that Abraham and Moses were were considered friends of God. Why? Well, a few things. They trusted God. They were obedient to God. And they had great faith in God. And God considers us, friends, if we live, if we love what he loves. Right? I mean, when you're married or you have a relationship and you know, maybe ladies, you meet a guy who likes to work on cars and you're not interested. But if you take a little bit of an interest in it, it kind of makes him sparkle a little bit. You know, when we, when Jesus Christ, the things that he loves, we need to love as well. And that helps to complete that relationship. But he will bring us into his inner circle and reveal his truth to us when he can trust us. These are privileged communications that the disciples now we're trusted with. And my question to you is, and to me is, can we be trusted? Can we be trusted to be in God's inner circle where he reveals his mysteries to us? That's that's an awesome responsibility if you think about it. 16. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. So the Lord says a few things. Number one, I chose you. I appointed you. Three, that you bear fruit. That's a huge part of this, and we covered that last Sunday. And four, that your fruit remains. So let's break this down. Number one, God says, I chose you. First Peter 1 tells us that his election, how he elects us, is according to his foreknowledge. God is omniscient. He knows the end from the beginning. In other words, if you choose to marry somebody, would it make sense to ask someone to marry you that's in the pool of the willing? Would you ask somebody to marry you if you knew for a fact that they would say absolutely no way? That would be futile. So God's election is according to his foreknowledge. And he chooses us individually. And number two, he says, I appointed you. I ordained you. Attached to that is a sense of purpose. And again, a lot of books have been written about purpose and destiny and uh, you know, your, your goals and you know, what can make you a complete person, and they sell like hotcakes. But the truth is, instead of just a mere profession on earth, uh, God wants us to work with him, uh, working alongside the Lord. All this stuff one day is just going to be gone. But what will last forever is the gifts that God has given us, how we've used the gifts, how we've discipled others, and how we've poured into the lives of others. Three, he says that you bear fruit. Again, a Christian that doesn't bear fruit is an oxymoron. Not a moron, but an oxymoron. Okay, They're incompatible and they're inconsistent. Believers must bear fruit. It just comes naturally. And four, that your fruit remain. Lasting fruit. Not some cheesy spiritual um, you know, exercise, but fruit that actually remains. And again, do we avail ourselves? Are we concerned about the lost? Are we concerned about pouring into others? That's the type of fruit that will remain. I remember that, well, actually, I can tell you right now that some of the men that discipled me never saw the day that I became a pastor. I don't know what God lets you see or what He doesn't let you see while you're in heaven. But they poured into me, and they might not have been pastors themselves. But God, I guess, you know, he told them that you got to pour yourself into others. And I was beneficial. I was the the blessed one that they poured into me because here I am today and stand before you. But without that discipleship, without that correction, without that guidance, I don't know that I would be here today. But there were men who stepped up to the plate. The Bible says that the older women should teach the younger women and the men should teach the younger men. Verse 17. He says, these things I command you that you love one another. And the question is, can you command love? We often think that maybe from the books we read or the movies that we see that love is an emotion, but love is more of an action and it can be commanded because the Lord does command us to love one another. Now, I'll tell you that I'm Sicilian and my my emotions can fluctuate. And there's times that I have to completely override my feelings because I know something is right. Well, I feel this way or this bothers me. It has got to be overridden because I have to follow the commands and the precepts that the Lord has given me. In the case of the Lord, everything that he did, his love was one sided. He loved the religious leaders and they, they mocked him and ridiculed him. He loved Judas, and Judas betrayed him. He loved his disciples, and in the time that he needed them the most, they fled, they took off. Love as a parent is doing the right thing by your kids, even though sometimes they may say, I hate you, Mom. I know it's happened to some of you. And are you tempted now to bend because your heart is broken? Or do you hang in there and know that your love for them is more important than their temporary and fleeting feelings for you. Two, love is saying no to the manipulations of the addict or the alcoholic. No. And you may hear, well, where's the love? Well, you're supposed to be a Christian. No, love has to be stronger than that. Three, love is the for better or for worse. The world's motto is there's other fish in the sea. If it doesn't work, Heck, you know, people don't live in villages anymore. They can go to big cities and find a mate. You can go online and find a mate. But the Bible says, for better or for worse in a marriage, once you make that commitment, that's a commitment under God. You stick with that commitment. But the world says, there's other fish in the sea. Proverbs 27.6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Love can be wounding. It can be painful. In James 5, 19 through 20, it speaks about turning a sinner from their errors of their ways and saving a soul from death. Do you think that's easy when you do that? Do you think it's easy when you oppose someone face to face and get in their lives and tell them the hard things that they need to hear? It's a lot easier to just disappear and not get involved. See, love isn't isn't that Hollywood mushy love? And I submit to you, look at any of these actors and actresses and they need your prayers. They make these romantic movies, but in their personal life, there's no way they can live this out. You see what I'm saying? So even that Hollywood love by the actors and actresses, they can't follow that. They can't complete that. Love is sacrificial. It's sometimes painful, but it's a lasting love. As society becomes more shallow and more surfity we need to become, we need to dig deeper. In the case of the Lord, his love was hazardous to his health. One of the consequences of him coming and dying for our sins and even living for the amount of time that he lived, it was hazardous to his health. They beat him, they mocked him, and they hung him on the cross because of his love. That's a tall order now, isn't it? Can anybody really do that? I believe this. I believe that God commands our love to be so high so that we look at it and say, you know what, I tell you right now as your pastor, I can't meet that. However, I have to say to myself, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. With man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. What does God want? He wants us to, to have that relationship with his Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit to move us and to empower us, to use our spiritual gifts, because when we look at his standards, we can either give up and close the book and go home, Oh, we can say, there's got to be another way because God's commanded me to do it. So if he's commanded me to do it, then I can do it. Okay? Verse 18. Here's the relationship of the believers to the world. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So here's this relationship now, believers to the world. What is the world? We have to, we have to parse this. We have to take it into sections. Otherwise, we won't understand it. Because God so loved the world, but we're also going to read scriptures that says, don't be like the world. It says, don't love the world. So wait a minute, if God's supposed to love the world, how do I not love the world? Understand the context of the scripture that we're reading. The word cosmos, the world, can mean the the system of the world, the humanistic, man-centered, God-rejecting system. So we're not to be like the world or love that system because we're of, of the kingdom of heaven. But there are individuals in that world, just like I was many years ago, that were plucked out of the world. God called us out of the world and said, now... You're over here. You're with me. You're a child of God. So we're to love the individuals in the world and try to win them to Christ, but we're not to be like that world system collectively. And that makes sense. Verse John uh, 2, 15 through 17, says this. Do not love the world. Now it makes sense. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. That lasting fruit that he's speaking about. And we can't love the Father if we love the world at the same time. Romans 12.2 tells us this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed but the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Some get it backwards. They can't get along with other believers. There's always some type of drama situation. However, they're very comfortable in the world. Right? Why would the world hate Jesus? I'm going to go to John 3. And we've covered this. Verses 19 through 20. Why would the world hate Jesus? Jesus because he's the light. And it says this, this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And this is amazing how we see real life examples of light and darkness. Uh, During the warm weather, my wife and I like to go down the shore. And we take this particular highway which is a direct route from our house to the shore. And when we, we go down there and we drive back, there's this adult bookstore. It's all blocked. And you know what they did? There's no windows. You could see where the windows used to be. they blocked it all out because they don't even want daylight to come into that adult bookstore where they sell pornography. And you see that men who go there, they'll get out and it doesn't matter what weather it is, they'll put hoods on so nobody sees them. Because they're in darkness they know they're in darkness but they like the darkness they don't want they don't even want sunlight they don't want people to see who they are you know some towns uh, have the when when a, a John or somebody who goes with a prostitute they start putting it into the paper and that's cut cut down on prostitution because now their sin their evil their darkness is there's there's light being shined on it so the truth is the world is in darkness The world's idea of God, the world's idea of morality, the secular world. And when Jesus came, he shined the light on that. And the world didn't comprehend it, they didn't want it. So, verse 19 tells us this If you're of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, remember the world hates you. Now, the carnal Christian is fine living in the world because they want the benefits of heaven. But they also are so into the flesh that they still are heavily tethered to the world system. But the true believer will eventually, or at some point, be hated by the world. Now, in our country, it's a little bit different. And I'm going to talk to you about what the Christians in other nations face. But for us, it might be an insult or a ridicule or a joke. Uh, But at some point, people will not like you if you really choose to uh, be married to the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, I chose you out of the world. You switched sides. That's why the world hates you. You Switch sides. When you're plucked from the world and you go from the kingdom of the earth, which is temporal, to the kingdom of God, which is eternal, the world looks at that and they get annoyed at that. In a spiritual sense, you are a traitor. So that's why it is the way that is. God came to expose the sin of the world and give a way out, but a way out would mean admission and a change of a lifestyle. And many don't want that. There are many that come to church that want to feel good about themselves. They want to be part of a religion or a group of people. However, they don't want to change their lifestyle. Now, what's really great is when I came into church, I had a bad lifestyle. But over time, the Lord worked on me. It was a process. And each time it was painful when he made changes in my life and when he started pruning and taking off the dead things of my character and my spirit. Verse 20, he says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep your word also. And this is the principle of identification or ambassadorship. Now, in the old days, when there were two nations, and maybe there was some trouble, they would send a representative from one nation or ambassador to another nation to to talk And if the receiving nation didn't like what was being said, they would kill the messenger. And that's where that expression comes from, don't kill the messenger. Because literally, if you were the messenger, there was a good chance at some point they were going to kill you. It was a hostile nation. What Jesus Christ did was he came from heaven. He came from that kingdom. He came to earth as a messenger and he gave the message and he was killed. And what Jesus says is, the message that you're carrying that's from me, if the world receives my message, they're going to receive you, Ambassador. If they hate my message, they're going to hate you. So understand that. Here is a periodical from Voice of the Martyrs. And if you would like to get this, uh, we would make it available, the information. And this is the December 2012 edition. And it covers a little graphic. It has a little girl little Nigerian girl with one arm because she is a Christian and her family is Christian and her village is Christian. And regularly, this happens in parts of Africa and Asia and places that we're not very close to here, uh, sometimes Central America. And basically, uh, in 2010, a Muslim mob armed with rifles and machetes slaughtered more than 500 Christians in Dogo, Nahawa, and two other villages. And what Voice of the Martyrs does is they go down there, and I support them, uh, and they take doctors and such, and they help to repair these people. Uh, Some of them are so ostracized that they can't even go to the village well. So Voice of the Martyrs brings, you know, well kits so they can dig their own wells. Blankets, you know, because they burn their houses down and burn their uh, clothing. And it's terrible. It's terrible. Some don't want to look at this because, you know, in, in America... We're so removed from that. We're so isolated. But this little girl is my sister. As a matter of fact, on the cover it says, she is my sister, is she yours? Very poignant. At the very least, we should be praying for our brothers and sisters. Now, if you want to remain a Christian, you live with the threat every day that this happens again. And sometimes it happens multiple times, and a lot of the Christians are displaced. There's actually one story of um, A Widow's Courage. And in Mosul, Iraq, her husband was also preaching and giving out Bibles. And uh, his, you know, the militants, the local militants found it out. They kidnapped him. They beat him. They tortured him for three days and then they killed him. This woman is so joyful. Now, we would be bitter about that. I mean, in the flesh, we would be incensed and enraged. Here's what she says. Rebecca passed on these words of exhortation for married women in the United States women should be brave and allow their husbands to fulfill God's will. We should not keep them by our sides, but release them from ministry. It's powerful. Do you have a calling in your life to preach the word? It's not hard to do around here. Maybe you'll be insulted, you'll be ridiculed, but if you do it here, I mean, this is the real deal, and they continue to do it. Many widows of, of pastors in these nations. That's an eye-opener. Satan uses persecution... In persecuted nations to try to destroy Christianity. Here he uses hedonism. He convinces us Western Christians that there's plenty of time. Go go on your vacations, go on your cruises, have fun. You know, play, play, play. And none of those things are, they're innocuous. They're not harmful in and of themselves. But his job is to fulfill us with these things so we don't have an urgency for the lost. Because we live in America. You know, I love my country. I'm, I've, I've, took an oath to defend the Constitution 21 years ago, but there, there's some serious flaws here. Do we, do we take our ease? Are we ever even persecuted for our belief system? Would There's an expression that says, if Christianity was illegal, would there be enough evidence in your life for the authorities to convict you? That's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. Is there enough evidence that the prosecution could use to convict us if it was illegal here? 21. He says, But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sins. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also both hated me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law, quote, they hated me without a cause. So why the persecution? <laughs> because they don't know God. And Jesus takes it a step further in verse 23. It's because they hate God. Now here's the irony. is A lot of these people commit these atrocities in the name of God. And if you said to them, you know what, you really hate God, they would kill you and they would try to prove to you that they love God by killing you because this is what God told them to do. This is a twisted world we live in. I mean, there's no logic at all to this. But Satan doesn't have any logic. You know, an unbeliever may say to you, uh, and you're, if you're at college or you're uh, at school and they know you're a Christian, they may say, you know what? Religion is the reason for many of the wars and the bloodshed in the world. And you know what? They would be right. Religion is the reason for much of the bloodshed in the world. Right? Look, at, look at even in the Middle Ages, it was the church that was doing much of the killing. So religion is the reason, but not faith in God, not true faith in God. Religion helps us to make ourselves feel good about ourselves, to placate ourselves. You know, it's it's basically... I just want to read another scripture to you in 1 Peter 4 about being persecuted before we move to the next block here. Uh, Verse 12, 1 Peter 4, verse 12. It says, Beloved... Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached or insulted or reviled for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you on their part. He is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But well, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory, glorify God in this matter. So what that means is, if we just go out and do things and the, the authorities are against us, I mean, if you're sitting in the back of a patrol car with a complimentary set of silver bracelets for robbing somebody, that's not what he's talking about, you know? He's talking about persecution for being a believer and standing up for God. He's not talking about being persecuted for breaking the law and in other ways and something that we deserve. So we need to separate that. Verse 22. This is powerful. He said basically if he hadn't come to earth and taught and shown the truth, the world in a sense could claim a level of ignorance. Actually, the Apostle Paul says something similar in Acts 17.30 where he says... Up until this time, God overlooked to some extent spiritual ignorance, but now we have no excuse. Why? And I would say that this is the principle of the aperture, like an aperture of a camera, a camera lens, because basically we're accountable for the amount of light that we receive. And in the United States, in the age of information, in the age of the internet, there's really no excuse for us not to know God or seek him and to find that truth. So if we receive a lot of light, which those people did, and even the Apostle Paul said in Acts 17 on Mars Hill, that, some of that ignorance was excused before, but now mankind has no excuse. He came, he did miracles, he taught, his recorded word is in there, he rose from the dead, he raised the dead, he ascended into heaven. There's no excuse anymore. And again, if we live in the United States, it, it's very easy to find the truth if we're, if we're really interested Verse 24, he continues that not only was, was the teaching, but the miracles were proof and that we can't, can, uh, can't claim ignorance. Here's logic. We live in the year 2013, right? 2013 what? Bananas? 2013 years. 2013 years from what? The creation of the universe? No. It's from the life of Christ. I'm surprised the ACL, ACLU hasn't gotten onto this and tried to change our calendar. Maybe if they hear this, they'll, they'll get an idea and go to court and file a lawsuit, try to change the numbers around. But this is what the world uses, or most of the world, 2013 from the life of Christ, who's affected, arguably, had the most profound effect on humanity than any other person who ever lived. Every leader is polarized with a view about Jesus Christ, good leaders and bad leaders. He's been quoted by Gandhi, by Napoleon, by Adolf Hitler, by cult leaders, everyone knows who Jesus Christ is. Some use him for, for satanic means to get control over the masses, and others say that you know, even with the love that I have or the things that I've done, I can never measure up to that Jesus Christ. So the world hates Jesus, and by principle of identification, the believer whose life emulates the understanding of judgment, repentance, and salvation... Okay? They're going to hate that person as well. And this is my problem with celebrity pastors. In Luke 6, Jesus says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. He said, so did the fathers in the past of the false prophets. And again, it's, it's a, it becomes a business. It becomes a celebrity thing. And you know the person only wants to say good things, only wants to say nice things. But the fact is you can't, half-truth the Bible, or that leaves no truth. There is no such thing as a half-truth. They go together. So this is the problem I have with that that situation. In a a particular church, there was some uh, Voice of the Martyrs um, information uh, at one of the services shown on the screen, Uh, the images of the persecution and brothers and sisters who were going through uh, some horrible things. And uh, there was A bunch of people that got up and complained to the staff that we didn't want to see that on a Sunday morning. Again, our brothers and sisters. There was um, uh, one cover where a woman's village was was burned. Her name was Yubelina, I still remember, and her face was completely burned. And through all the the melted flesh, she had this big, beautiful smile showing her teeth. And I read Voice of the Martyrs and some of the articles where uh, people wrote in complaining about the picture, they, it was offensive to them. To me, she was a beautiful woman. And for her to be able to smile after that and still praise Jesus, that says a lot about her character. The problem is in this country is we're skin deep. Look at any magazine, look at any commercial, watch any show, we're skin deep. We're a skin deep society and it's horrible. And it infects the church as well. It infects the church as well. Verse 25. He says, but this happened that the world might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now, Jesus is referring to Psalm 69, which is a psalm of David. It's a Davidic psalm. The, word will, the world will hate you for seemingly no reason. No reason. Now, we're not to become like the world, and we're not to hate the world back. Again, our, our goal is to, one by one, you know, win them to Christ, win them to salvation. And that's a hard thing when somebody... So I read some of these stories about um, horrible things that have happened. Homes burned down and um, kids, kids murdered. And these Christians are still so forgiving. You know, and, and through that forgiveness, they, some of those militants actually come to Christ. That is just a, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. That does not happen in the flesh. 26, last two verses. But when the helper comes... Whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The promise of the Holy Spirit, why is it here? Because I believe it's for encouragement. Jesus is preparing his followers for what they're going to expect. But he's promising every true believer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12, for all those who desire to live godly in Christ, they will, not maybe, they will suffer persecution. You know, um, we we like our Bible promise handbooks because it says God will always be with us, he will never forsake us, God puts us in families, and then we get to some of them like this, and it's like, that's a tough one. So I will suffer persecution if I desire to live godly in Christ. So according to the Lord, what is, what is the Holy Spirit's role here? Number one, to be the helper and comforter by the name that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit. His, his, one of his character titles is helper or comforter. And we need that, especially when we're going through dark times. You know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Right? I mean, if we go in through that valley of the shadow of death alone, it's kind of scary. But the Lord is, he's a paracletos, he's alongside of us, he's with us. He's like, it's, it's dark, it's scary, you've got to go through it, but I'm right here next to you, I'm right here next to you. Two, by his very nature, he's a proclaimer of truth. He is the spirit of truth, and the truth is crucial. Many pick religions based on their own lifestyle, or what they like, or some of the accoutrements of, of the church or the congregation. But when we come and we learn and we follow a doctrine, it needs to be based on the truth, not just something that makes us feel good. And three, the most important, Jesus says, he will testify of me. What does that mean? That the Holy Spirit will always point to Jesus Christ, always. Now, some play fast and loose with the Holy Spirit because he is arguably the most misunderstood of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is arguably a little bit mysterious, you know, um, we, we get a, a, an idea of who the Holy Spirit is. He is a person. He's a personage, but uh, it's, it's, a little, it's a little nebulous. And because of that, a lot of weirdness can come out of that. Now, I, I looked at a statistic, actually after the election. I'm a math guy, I like statistics. And it said that the United States is now close to 20% irreligious. Now, that number has gone up considerably. i would tell you what, it's higher in Israel you know, the land, of, right? the land of Genesis and God's promises. And this is what we're dealing with. Irreligious, no faith, it's on the rise. And that was one of the uh, crucial factors. As a matter of fact, and I don't want to get too political, but both the Democrats and the Republicans were actually shocked by the last, Demo- uh, the last uh, presidential election. And they said that the 20% of the irreligious were, were really the key swing to put President Obama over the top from all the exit polls and all the mathematics that they did. They were afraid of anybody who, who, who had any type of faith. They didn't want that person in the White House. That's pretty, that's pretty scary, isn't it? we got a lot of work to do, don't we? If every Christian in the United States poured into one person, loved one person, discipled one person, the face of this country could be vastly different. Now, what I don't want to do is get into this political thing where let's take over the the politics and we're going to change the united states back because we're you know we're involved i think we should be involved and we should vote however it's the holy spirit it's god who does the work we need to do our individual work and let god work on the masses and revival right but i got to tell you i've done more and again let me go back to that third point the holy spirit will testify of Jesus I've walked into churches and some of you have as well where there's chaos people are rolling on the floor they're laughing hysterically they're burping, they're passing gas I am not kidding, you can find this stuff and it's bizarre and people walk right back out of that door that is not the Holy Spirit and people will say, oh I'm just in the Spirit you're not in the Spirit because there's nothing in those actions that testify of Jesus Christ because we can't control our bodily functions come on that's weird. <laughs> There's no other word for it. Is it a work of the Holy Spirit? It must point back to Jesus Christ. It must. Christ was speaking to the disciples, but he was also speaking to all believers throughout the ages. Now, society, ladies and gentlemen, and I have to tell you that some say, oh, it's, it's kind of a lot of gloomy prospect. Things are not going to get better in this country. They're going to get worse. Now, I'm not being gloom and doom because I walk around every day with a spring in my step because I trust the Lord. I don't care what's going on here. I really don't. i got to do my job. I want to minister to people. I want to bring people into the kingdom. I want to be that ambassador and that messenger. Whatever happens in the government, I'll still vote. But that's not what's going to make me happy or sad. But I believe, look, there's another shooting in Colorado. It's on the rise. People are becoming unstable. They're starting to unravel. Society is starting to unravel. Even, the, even in the courts, the prosecution, the budgets are down. They're actually deciding which heinous criminal they should prosecute because there's financial issues. Heroin is on the rise. Young people are addicted to heroin. I see it. You know, when I put on my other hat, I see it all the time. It's this bubbling, um, ominous force that's underneath the facade of society, and it's only going to get worse. This is not the America that we know. It's starting to change. But we can still be joyous. Why? Because the Bible tells us to have that remaining fruit. The world's going to continue to go humanistic. You know, the world, the nations are going to get together and try to, you know, bring everyone together, the banking system, the governments, to have more tighter control over the people. It says it right in the scripture. It's not some fanatic uh, theory. It's right in the scripture. We see that movement. But what do we do? What is our response as the world gets more difficult? I actually named the sermon uh, Time to Get Serious. It's time to get serious. We need to love more. We need to maybe sacrifice some of our free time in the way of pouring into others. Maybe sacrifice some of our, our self-centered pursuits in a way of, of pouring into others. And that could mean a little kid in the children's ministry. I've seen kids grow up in this church in 10 years. Now they're in college. It's amazing. It goes fast. And they're solid because people poured into them. So as life gets more difficult, as the world gets more difficult, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit more. We need to love more. We need to persevere more. And we need to have that remaining fruit. Now, again, if you're thinking, gee, so what's my quota of fruit? How much I got to produce every day, Lord? It isn't that way. There's no quota. When we're tied into the Lord, when we're in his word, when we're in his will, when we believe what he believes, when we say what he says, what's wrong, we say what's wrong and we're tied into him. He does, doesn't call us, Jesus doesn't call us servants, he calls us friends. He lets us into his inner circle. We have spiritual gifts, we use those gifts. We pour into other, our spirit, our our fruit remains and it remains far greater than what happens on this earth. It goes well into eternity. We need to be more pertinacious about our faith. We need to get out of lackluster and get more into serious about what we believe. And ask the Lord. I was praying with a group of men in my office uh, at 10:15, and one of the prayers of one of the gentlemen said, "Thank you, Lord, for tapping me on my shoulder and reminding me that I'm I'm to be in ministry." He actually put aside all his worldly pursuits, and he said, "I want to be. I want to start pouring into people. I want to be in ministry." Thank you, Lord, for tapping me on the shoulder. So my prayer is that uh, all of us would become more serious, not sad, not gloom and doom, but joyous. And as the world starts to unravel more and it starts to perish more, they see that light in us, and the worse things get, and the brighter we are, they have no choice but to ask us, how do I get some of that? Give me some of that. All right, so that's my desire for us uh, this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word as always. We thank you for what you're showing us and Lord, we thank you that you wrap it up real nicely and, and real orderly and help us to digest it piece by piece. Lord, as, as things get more difficult, primarily we're to love you. That's gotta be our